All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode 10 of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak. I am one of your co-hosts. I am joined, as always, with my other co-host. He just got back from the Tennessee River fishing out a goalpost. Thomas Bowen, how you doing, big guy? Man, that that I, I am doing well, all things considered. That river is cold, let me tell you. It is cold and deep as well. But we uh we got that thing out just like a like a cypress log in the swamp. Strong, strong to very strong. So let's jump in. Speaking of that game, let's talk a little reaction. Uh Thomas, the the scene in Knoxville, Tennessee on Saturday was what college football is all about. It was absolute just amazement. Like it was just, I watched every snap. I, you know, the reaction, I I immediately got on Twitter and all the social media channels to be like, I know people are posting about this goalpost, like, or just the after game reaction. Like what's, I, I, I need to inject that into my veins. I need to know what's going on. I wanted to travel back in time and be 22 years old and be a student at Tennessee, uh, for a slight second. Um, but just an awesome game. Thomas, how good is Tennessee? Man, I, I, I think if this weekend was indicative, I think they are, are very good. The, the thing, and huge, huge props to Tennessee, as painful as that is. But, you know, they, every, there were so many points in that game where you said, and I think even you and I were, were texting a little bit about it, but there were so many points in that game where, as a fan, who was familiar with Alabama, familiar with these teams, that you just said every minute, okay, well, here it goes. All right, Bama's about to put it on their throat. Bama's about to run away with it. But Tennessee took every single punch that Bama gave and just kept punching back. I was amazed. I agree. I I, I completely felt that way. I kept thinking, all right, here's where Bama steps on their neck. This is, this is where it ends. And let's be honest, there were bad calls both ways, but there were a lot of calls, a couple headshots to Bryce Young that didn't get called, uh, you know, things like that. You know, Bama didn't do themselves any favors by missing a field goal at the end of the game. Um, you know, that really cost them, but uh, really just a great football game. Thomas, we don't want to get too far into this because we'll talk about it in a few weeks, but just kind of your initial thought. Can Tennessee beat Georgia in a couple of weeks? Absolutely. I, th- I think I think this this Tennessee team provided that they are still healthy and and the same team that took the field against Alabama and went toe to toe with them. If that is the same team that faces Georgia, if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm I'm sweating bullets because uh, I think Tennessee can take it to them. Uh, their defense played well. It wasn't just an offensive game. Yeah, there were a lot of points scored in that game. Sure, if you, and if you look at the if you look at the total score, you might say, well, there was no defense played in this game. No, there was defense played in this game. And one of the things that I noticed also was we, and you have talked a lot about Will Anderson, who, who was phenomenal from Alabama. He was pretty much a non-factor in that game. Yeah. Uh, I saw a really interesting stat the other day. He, Will Anderson has been held to only one pressure in a game twice, two times in his wow. 35 career starts against Tennessee in 2020 and against Tennessee in 2022. And it was wow. just 
a brilliant game plan by Tennessee. Uh, one of the things I noticed, and I had to confirm this, was Tennessee essentially ran the ball on every second down. And their tempo, you know, they run lightning, lightning fast. Their tempo allowed them to get on the ball quickly on third down and not sub which prevented Alabama from subbing in their typical third down pass rushers, which I think is a brilliant game plan if you can execute it. And it pretty much made Will Anderson and some of those beasts a non-factor. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think they took a little page out of what well, I guess technically it would be the, the Eagles taking a page out of their book. So in Sunday Night Football last, last week, to go to the NFL for just a second, in that big game between Dallas and the Philadelphia Eagles, um, Parsons – Micah Parsons, the stud defensive uh, player, linebacker, pass rusher for the Cowboys, what the Eagles did to him all night was he was the conflict guy. That was who they were reading on the RPO. If he came rushing upfield, the Eagles were getting rid of it. If he sat, they were giving it. And it was a way to block him without blocking him. And I'm wondering if that's happened to Will Anderson. I didn't re- go back and rewatch this game to see this. Speaking of things that just didn't go well, well for Bama, and I don't want to step on your notes, Thomas, but – Jalen Hyatt, uh, wowzers, <laughs> wowzers, uh, good. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm going to have to take a dig here and say great player evaluation, former South Carolina <laughs> football staff. Fantastic job there guys. Um, but Thomas, I mean, you're the defensive guy. Well, what was happening over there? That guy was open. He was more open than a seven 11. I'll tell you what happened. Do you know, who who Alabama's secondary coach is, who their DB coach is, that would be our good friend Travaris Robinson from the Must Champ era at South Carolina. That's all you got to say about that. And dun, I mean, dun, dun. He, he just took the top off the defense. And I think he so he had what five or six touchdowns, I think. And it was on it was on single digit catches, was it not? Yeah, five touchdowns on six catches. That's insane. So he didn't he didn't score one time. The, like the only the only person I've ever seen anything close to that in was Randy Moss did that in the playoffs one time where he had like three catches or four catches and three touchdowns and like over a hundred yards. I mean, it was insane. And we're, and Randy Moss is huge. Yeah, this kid's not. That was the knock on him coming out of high school was he wasn't big enough to get <laughs> off the line. He proved that right. You know, my dad made a great point. He talked about how he was shocked that. Alabama didn't try to chuck him at the line more. He felt like he got a lot of free releases and was really surprised by that. He did. I was surprised at that. And I was also surprised by the fact. So with Cedric Tillman, the other wide receiver, arguably UT's number one wide receiver this whole year, who has been banged up a lot and missed some games, he was not in the game. So your main threat, if you're Alabama's defense from a receiving standpoint, is Hyatt. So bracket him, double him, whatever you got to do. But for whatever reason, they didn't, and he just torched them. He made them pay big time. All right, so switching to the one of the other big games of the day, Thomas, you know, Michigan, Michigan kind of put it on Penn State there. Uh, you and I sort of kind of said we thought we thought that could happen. How how good is Michigan in your mind? Well, you know, that was a a, a whooping that uh, that they put on the Nittany Lions this weekend. But I really think that. And, and, and we threw a little shade at, at the Big Ten last week, uh, and rightfully so. But I think the jury's still out on Michigan because really the only team with a pulse they faced is, is Penn State. And, and we still don't even know how good Penn State is this year. And looking at the rest of their schedule, is set up really nicely for them because the only real competition they'll face the rest of the season is Illinois and then closing out with Ohio State. 
Exactly. So we're trying to find out if Michigan's legit. But I tell you who is legit, Better's Edge. Better's Edge is the premier no-fee social betting marketplace. Better's Edge allows us to create our own prices and lines for sports betting positions in 45 states, most importantly in South Carolina. These are often better than the ones you can find anywhere else. If you use the code AVERAGE at sign up, you'll get $20 in your wallet when you verify your account just for listening to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. That's bettersedge.com slash average to get started today all right so thomas i had to get that our partnership read in there gotta pay tell the me bills. a little bit gotta pay the bills tell me who your playoff teams are man all right this is uh this was tough this is this is really tough um looking at things the way they are now i think you have to go with number one georgia number two ohio state number three tennessee and number four Michigan. That's kind of where I'm at right now. And and if we've got some Clemson fans on here, they're probably going to be upset at me for, for keeping Clemson out of there. But I'm looking at competition, strength of schedule here, uh, unbeatens as well. But here's here's the thing that's, that's really interesting. So right now, based on those, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Michigan, I've got two SEC teams in there, which, which has been kind of the staple. But the SEC could really shake some things up. Think about this. What what if Georgia does beat Tennessee and wins the East, and then they lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game? And let's right. say Alabama doesn't doesn't have any other losses other than this past weekend. That could be three SEC teams with one loss. There's there's no way we get three SEC teams in the playoffs, right? No way, right? I, I just don't see how that could happen. I think the rest of the country would explode. <laughs> do I feel like do I feel like it would be warranted in the scenario you just gave? Quite possibly. Um, you know, I, to me, I could see you could convince me if things play out in a certain way that this playoff this year should be Tennessee, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State. Like you could convince me that those three teams that the, that should be our four. It really like I, I you know for the sake of taking one out, you could like you said. But again, here's where you get hairy. So let's say Ohio State and Michigan are both undefeated going into their their game at the end of the year. So let's say Michigan loses to Ohio State, but then Michigan wins the Big Ten. <laughs> so vice versa, you know Tennessee's now beat Alabama. Let's say Tennessee loses to Georgia. And then Georgia loses to Bama. Like who? Who whole, are you leaving yeah, out? Yeah, you got a whole bunch of one-loss teams there. And I think, right. I think what we're saying here is all of this is to say is this is why we need playoff expansion. We need more than four teams. I'm I'm not against expansion. I, I was at a time. I was because here's what I love about college football, and I heard it recently. I'm not sure where I read it in college football for the for the teams that are in that upper echelon. Every regular season game is almost a playoff game in its own. Like Bama's not out of the playoffs because they lost to Tennessee, but their backs against the wall. Mm-hmm. If they if they lose another one, they're pretty much done. And that makes every week matter. Every week is so important. And you know, again, not to say this is going to happen, but in my dream world, South Carolina and you know, several weeks plays Tennessee in Columbia. What if South Carolina beats Tennessee? This is a great, great football team. South Carolina beats Tennessee. Tennessee still wins the East and then loses to Bama and they get left out. Like they're they're one of the best football teams in the country right now. Yeah. But that is what makes college football to me so freaking interesting because every game 
matters. You know, even college basketball doesn't have that anymore. You have an upset early in the year against a non-conference team in college basketball. It doesn't matter. In the pros, in basketball and baseball, you go on a five, seven, ten game losing streak. It doesn't matter. You can get back on board. Now, the NFL, you still have a little bit, you know, but it's still, if a team in the NFL goes on a three-game losing streak, they're in trouble. Right. Like, it, it just makes it matter more. So, yes, I'm in favor of expansion, but I don't want to go, like, from four to 16. No, no, like, no. Let's, no. Like, let's go from four to eight or maybe even somehow, you know, do some buys and do 12 or something. But, like, I don't want to get too greedy with that, but we don't want to get too far off the rails with that conversation. Um so let's look at some games, Thomas. Let's start off. South Carolina's back playing football this week. They had the bye week last week. The Aggies of Texas A&M will be coming to Williams-Brice to play the Gamecocks. Gamecock offense, Thomas. At this point, if you've listened to this show, we have talked about this this group at uh, nauseum uh, would be a good word. It does make me nauseous at times to watch this <laughs> offense. Um, but I think the biggest thing here is, Thomas, South Carolina has to get off to a good start in this game. When yeah. you think about the Kentucky game two weeks ago, <laughs> one of the things that helped that game was a big defensive play, a turnover. Carolina gets the ball in the two-year line, and they're up seven to nothing before you can blink. So in games where we have lost or struggled, we have struggled in the first quarter and really the first half in general. So you're going to need some plays like that. I don't know if it's another defensive turnover or a play on special teams that shortens the field, but they got to have that. Thomas, Texas A&M is 13th in the league in rushing defense. South Carolina has got to be able to run the football against these guys. They have got to be able, and I know you're going to talk about what they're going to try and do to stop us from doing that, but I look at just statistics, that is a low, low number. And the big key is they got to be able to do that to set up the play action pass particularly thomas in my mind to the intermediate to short range passing game and particularly to the tight ends thomas i don't want to step on your stuff but it looks to me like at times a&m loves bringing those backers and that leaves space behind them if they don't get home you got some open spaces to throw those short passes hitches ends slants why stick those types of routes that need to be huge for us Another thing, and Thomas, I swear I didn't mean to steal any of your thunder, but uh, Texas A&M, Thomas, has two interceptions on the season as a defense. Two. South Carolina quarterback Spencer Radler can not throw an interception in this game. (laughs) He he will. Cannot. Oh, I know he's going to, but he just, he really shouldn't. Um, On the flip side of that, they have seven fumble recoveries, which is interesting. So don't put the ball on the ground because they're going to, they're going to be opportunistic and pounce on it. Easy game plan, Thomas. I don't have a whole lot. This is why I guess why I talked about the defense so much. Easy game plan. Run the ball with Lloyd, get the defense to overreact to stopping that run. And then throw it behind them, throw the short to intermediate. And then when the safeties come up and the, and the corners come up, now you take your deep shot. This is what we like to call an offensive system, Thomas. And it's what we like to call a scheme. I'm not sure how familiar Marcus Satterfield is with those concepts, but if you can establish the run, and force the defense to bring another guy in the box, force the linebackers to react to whatever run it is you're using or version, different versions of run, it makes this game so much easier as an offense because now the defense is in a bind. What do we try to stop? Do we, We're getting gashed on the ground. 
what do we try and stop? Do we do that? And then they throw behind us. So it's, it's vital to A, get off to a good start on South Carolina's offense, and B, establish the run game early to set up everything else off of it. So, Thomas, what is Texas A&M's defense going to try to do to stop that? Yeah, the um, you know, and it's interesting to, to see this defense. I, I think A&M lost uh, a, a really, really good defensive coordinator from last year, Mike Elko. Ran that defense for a while. He he left A and M to go take the Duke head coaching job. Jimbo brought in DJ Durkin um, as his defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know Durkin and, and some of the things he's had going on as head coaching. Tremendous and, human being. Yeah. Tremendous human being. Yeah, not uh, not getting the uh, citizenship award for the mayor for sure. But briefly, schematically, uh, Durkin is traditionally, traditionally he's been a, a 3-3-5 guy or even that 3-2-6 that we talked about, I believe, last season that Ole Miss runs. Uh, he ran that 3-2-6 at Ole Miss. But when Jimbo brought him in, Jimbo was adamant that they're going to stick with the 4-2-5, the defense that Mike Elko had been running, which, which I think is smart. You don't want to come in and bring in a new guy, completely change the scheme where you've got the wrong athletes to run that. So, Still run a lot of that 4-2-5. Much like South Carolina, AM's defense has taken some bad hits with injuries. They've had to play a lot of younger, inexperienced guys. Um, I have noticed in watching some of their games, notwithstanding that Jimbo said, hey, I'm bringing this guy in to keep with our 4-2-5 base defense, they've run a lot more three-man fronts than I expected, and it doesn't really seem to be working that well for them. Linebackers have struggled a bit. Uh, you mentioned blitzing a lot they also tend to get lost in the wash uh which allows offensive linemen to get to that second level and make them a non-factor in the play they're not really good at shedding blocks either it's not it's not a great linebacking core for sure with that said i'm looking at a&m you mentioned it when you talked about south carolina's offense i think a&m is going to load the box try to shut down the run if they're smart if Durkin is smart, and I don't think he's that smart, but if he's smart and he wants to earn his paycheck, he's going to stick with a four-man front against South Carolina, roll that hybrid linebacker safety type down for run support. I think you're going to see some edge pressure, some blitzes from the corners. Um, if they can get South Carolina behind the chains on passing downs, they do like to employ some of that rabbit package that we've talked about before. Clemson runs it where they like to move their defensive ends inside, get some more speed rushers there. Uh, but regardless, I mean, the the success for this AM defense this weekend will depend on how well they can dominate in the trenches and stop South Carolina's run game. Because you're absolutely right. South Carolina's game plan needs to be establish the run and move the chains and eat up some clock. It's just going to come down to – whether that young, inexperienced defense can can handle that and whether South Carolina's offensive line can get the push that they need. So it's really going to come down to the trenches, man, and, and, and how well South Carolina can establish that run game. Yeah, and it always comes down to the trenches in my it always comes down to the trenches in my book. Sorry, I don't know if I was uh, repeating myself there, but it is key this week. It is very much key this week. Um, that that happens. And again, before I switch gears to te te uh, Texas A&M's offense, South Carolina, if we remember all the way back, what we're predicating this offense on is an outside attacking run to then run the, the boot back to the other way. Well, 
those edges that you're talking about, that's how you would, that's how you stop that. We just talked about it with Micah Parsons. That's how you stop that. Okay. So that's something South Carolina's got to keep in mind this week. All right. Tam's offense. All right. Texas A&M's offense. Daryl Dickey's been the offensive coordinator there since 2018. But <clears throat> Jimbo Fisher calls the plays. He's been calling the plays his whole time there. He is known as uh, a play calling head coach. It has not been going well. Uh, <laughs> let's just say it that way. I will tell you, he is a guy that likes to run some 10 personnel. He wants to go spread with uh, one back in the backfield beside the quarterback in a shotgun situation. Most pundits and fans, Thomas, have been asking for Jimbo to change the play calling responsibilities, really going back as early as 2018. And he's still getting that call this year, and he hasn't done it yet. And people are really getting fired up because they've had some bad losses and are not doing very well offensively, to say the very least. The situation here is their quarterback, I believe now, Haynes King, from everything I've seen, is going to start this game. Is that what you're seeing? Uh, yeah, but but I will say that that Jimbo Fisher is notorious for being very cagey with his injury reports, and of course he's very selective in how he words that. So I think we could see King. How much? Don't know. Could be the third stringer. Right, and the third stringer is a freshman named Connor. Is it Wigum Wigman? Uh, Wegman. Wigum? Wegman. Yeah. And you know, he's the next guy up. If, if King see, and here's the other thing. King hasn't been super effective. No, yeah. They had, they had already, they had already benched him because he wasn't playing well in the A&M game. Or excuse me. In the uh, Appalachian state game that they lost at home, he was 13 of 20 for 97 yards. That's that bad. is bad. Yeah. That is so bad. That's Anthony so Richardson over, bad. <laughs> there you go. And then here's the thing. Also, Thomas, this offensive line is young. Three sophomores and a freshman with one junior on this on this line. I mean, when you add all that up, you end up with an offense that is currently 11th in the league in passing and 12th in rushing. So this is not a great offense. It's not 2014 anymore at Florida State for Jimbo. Things have not been going well. Now, they do have some studs. Freshman wide receiver Evan Stewart is their leading wide receiver right now, with three, but he only has 303 yards and two touchdowns this season. Leading rusher, and Thomas, I'm going to need your help, Devin. A-chain. Oh, man, I had a, nope, not even <laughs> close to what I was thinking. Devin A-chain is a stud. He is a, a very good runner at five, 528 yards this season, averaging over five yards a carry. Very impressive. Then you have kind of an interesting guy, Thomas. Number seven, Musin Muhammad II. He is the son of former Panthers great by the same name, wide receiver. He has thrown, shown flashes of being a great wide receiver in this um, in his time at Texas A&M. So somebody that you got to keep an eye on if you're, if you're South Carolina's defense and South Carolina fans. Look for number seven out there because he's going to be somebody who could, could be dangerous and expose you if you're not ready. Thomas, it, this is mostly a spread-based offense. The thing that, ta- that he gets the most heat for, that Jimbo gets the most heat for, is asking his quarterbacks to do too much. A lot of full field reads, <clears throat> not a lot of quick play. And the thing about Haynes King, that's a kid who's a dual threat guy. And when he came to Texas A&M, that's what I think he meant to play in and what he was probably told he was going to play in. And right now, he's got the handcuffs on him. He's not getting the chance to use his legs to help the pass game, and that's been a big complaint also. So it's here's the thing. Young offensive line, shaky quarterback room. Thomas, 
that ought to set up for South Carolina's defense to be able to do some things. What are your thoughts on what their game plan is going to be this week? Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm Clayton White and and in that defensive room, particularly those those front guys, I'm going to be licking my chops. Uh, you mentioned it next to last in passing offense, next to last rushing offense. I think they are dead last in total offense. Uh, which if I was A&M and I just paid Jimbo Fisher $78 million or whatever he's getting, I'd be a little upset about that for him being such a quarterback whisperer that he's supposed to be. But you mentioned it also, the quarterback room for A&M has been hammered with injuries. Um, so don't really know if we're going to get Haynes King, if we're going to get Connor Wegman. Either way, both of them can make you pay with their legs. Um, but if, if honestly, if, if, if we get Wegman, if, if, Haynes King can't go. Wegman, you're talking about a freshman, his first snaps in a college football game in a, what I am assuming will be a loud, rocking environment night game. williams Bryce coming back after a week off after beating Kentucky on the road. It's going to be rocking. But with that said, I, I really don't think you can blitz these guys a whole lot. And, and South Carolina likes to lean on the blitz pretty blitz heavy defense, but uh, again, both of them can run. Um, and with the, the, the lackluster speed and athleticism at linebacker that we have right now, could, either one of them could break off some big chunks. Uh, you mentioned the wide receivers. A&M's wide receivers have shown the ability, particularly recently, to make big plays against blitzing defenses. You think about it, when the defense is blitzing, you're going to have more man coverage on those wide receivers, giving them more opportunities to find open spaces in coverage. So those blitzes, if you're going to blitz, they better get home. They better get home and don't give that quarterback time because he'll find some open spaces there. So I really think this is going to be a similar game plan to Kentucky. Get pressure with the front four, roll a DB down in the box for run support, cover three on the back end, keep everything in front of you. Again, Devin A-Chain is a hell of a running back. And he will get his yards, much like Chris Rodriguez did at Kentucky. I mean, he still had 120-something yards in that game. But this defense needs to make them work for it, needs to make them grind out the yards and eat up clock. That's It's, it's kind of like you mentioned on the offensive side. It, it doesn't have to be a very complicated, convoluted game plan on the defensive side either. It's just let the big dogs up front eat, keep everything in front of you, and just play smart football. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think a lot of things right now, Texas A&M, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of teetering on the edge. So I, you know, I said early that South Carolina needs to get off to a good start. A part of that is I think if they do get out to a good start, South Tennessee may start giving up. I'm sorry, Tennessee, <laughs> Texas A&M may start kind of, kind of losing interest, yeah. you know, and you get, you get times where guys start going, you know, here we go again. And, and that, that fight doesn't come out as good. Final outlook, Thomas, in my opinion, this is a game that South Carolina needs to win. I want to be clear. I don't find this to be a quote-unquote must-win game. This is a nice-to-win, need-to-win game. Kentucky was must-win because of where we were, where the fans were, where your culture was at that moment. But you, you, you don't want to win that big game on the road, come out and lay an egg. So it is a need-to-win and, quite honestly, should win. South Carolina's – sorry, go ahead. What are you going to say? No, I, 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 I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. This is 
South Carolina's best chance since we started playing A&M, best chance to win this game. And so they need to capitalize on that for sure. Totally agree. And, and especially because let's just call it what it is, Thomas. This Texas A&M offense is not very good. It, it's, it's just not. They have great pieces, but it's just not very ran, well ran right now. And they're banged up on top of that. And Thomas, I, I mentioned it earlier. This defense has only produced two turnovers. Uh, excuse me, two interceptions. You got to be able to throw the ball on these guys, especially after setting up that run game. Again, I'll go back to it. I think the the winner of this game and how this game plays out really could be decided early in the first quarter. South Carolina goes out there and has a reaction quarter like they did against Kentucky. I think they're going to be in pretty good control. They struggle and three and out and throw a pick and you know it's a it's a slugfest because. Texas A&M can't move the ball very well either right now, then it's anybody's game in my opinion. So Thomas, what are, what are your thoughts? Who, who's pulling this out? What do you, what are you thinking here? This is, this is a real tough one for me to call. And, and I think maybe this is the, the pessimistic Gamecock fan in me here, but I still have not seen enough out of Marcus Satterfield and the offense after, after the Kentucky game. That was great but I'm still not completely sold on it. So I'm going to have to go with A&M here. I, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a good game. I'm looking at like a 24-21 type game. Um, and I hope I'm wrong. Of course, I, I hope I'm wrong here. And and if South Carolina comes out and has a good offensive game plan and some cohesiveness and sticks to what works, then I'll start to believe a little bit more. Now, Marcus Satterfield still got to go. I, I, don't, I don't want him around. I, I don't care if we light it up the rest of the year. He's got to go. But – no, I need to see more. When I talk about getting off to a, a fast start, let me be clear in the fact that in order for that to happen, in my opinion, because of this offense being as convoluted as it is, you have to have things happen like happened at Kentucky, where you get a big turnover and a short field, or you block a punt or something like that. I mean, Pete Limbo, Clayton White, they got to help them out. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter, but that's what you need to, to be in a comfortable position here. All right. I'm, I call it a toss-up game. I mean, first of all, let me just be clear to everybody on here. I would never bet on my own team ever <laughs> because I've been a Gamecock long enough to know that that's a terrible idea. But even if I wasn't that fat, like I would tell you that this is a toss-up game. And I really do believe that this first quarter will be the telltale sign because if South Carolina comes out hot, Texas A&M can give up. And I'm mean, honestly, the, the opposite could be true. So, you know, it's, it's a toss up game unless somebody so kind of kicks somebody in the teeth in that first quarter. All right, Thomas, moving on to the other game, uh, big game of the week that we, we talked about on this show, Syracuse travels to Clemson on Saturday. That's a noon game, I believe. And, uh, this is going to be a big game, mm-hmm. uh, st- starting off with Clemson's offense, Thomas, again, the, the Clemson offense is doing well. Like, yeah. That's how I would describe them. They're they're a nice offense. It's not the explosive they could score at any second teams that they've had in the past, but it's a good offense. It's productive. They don't get badly behind the chains. They haven't really turned it over much. It's a very, very good offense. Will Shipley probably had his best game of the year, in my opinion, um, against Florida State. This past week, he had a really, really good game there. The offensive line against Florida State's defensive front, in my opinion, did a fantastic job. Uh, particularly of picking up games that the defensive front was playing. I thought they did a fantastic job there. DJU has settled into who he is as a quarterback. He knows, hey, I'm, in my opinion, it's funny, he apparently said this week during press release times, he wants to run the ball more. 
He said, I wish I'd have run the ball more in high school. So maybe my prediction of the fact that he was trying to be a pocket passer was a little bit off, or maybe that's what they were trying to make him. But, you know, maybe Streeters come in and said, you know, this kid's got some athleticism. Let's move him around a little bit. And if you think back, Thomas, uh, you know, Steve Spurrier used to talk about Steve Garcia that when he used to say Steve Garcia played better after he took his first hit. When he took his first hit, he, you know, kind of settled down. And I feel like DJ might be a similar guy. Like he gets a big run and it kind of settles him in, makes him feel confident. Again, Clemson's wide receivers are good. They're not that fantastic, you know, blow up open the top that they've had in the past, but they are very good. Thomas, what is Syracuse facing or what, what will Clemson face in the Syracuse defense this week? Well, I, I tell you, they're they're going to face uh, the top scoring defense in the ACC, number two rush defense. They're only giving up about 95 yards rushing a game. Number one passing defense, about 174 yards a game. This is a uh, this is not this is not the the Syracuse of old. This they're coming in here undefeated, right? I believe yeah, they're undefeated coming in, um, attacking aggressive three three five defense. They like to use a lot of stunts and slants. Um, I think you're going to see some delayed blitzes, particularly on some passing downs from this defense. They're going to try to get get DJU uncomfortable. Um, I think they'll they'll pull out some green dog a little bit. Uh, for the listeners, we talk about green dog. Green dog blitz is basically you've got a linebacker in man coverage, and he's he's man coverage on on the running back. If that running back stays in and blocks, he blitzes. So it's kind of like a delayed blitz. I think you're going to see some of that get pressure on him. But really the keys for this Syracuse defense is, is you know, you kind of alluded to it, is contain Shipley, which he continues to impress me week after week, and make DJU uncomfortable. Is don't let him sit back there because that's when he has his best games is when he has confidence in his offensive line and he gets comfortable in the pocket. So they need to keep him moving. Stunts and slants, stunts and slants. I feel like I say it every week, but I feel like that's the best way to attack this offensive line and this offense in general. I agree with you to an extent there. And also, I will tell you this. One of the things, Ship, or not Shipley, DJU still struggles with at times if he is getting pressured is his eyes will slip down to that rush a little bit too much. And he stops feeling the rush and starts looking at the rush and then he starts making bad throws. Mm -hmm. So if they can get pressure on him, I do think that rattles him at times. All right, Thomas, on Syracuse's offense, first of all, Syracuse is undefeated. Yeah. Like nobody's really talking about the fact that Syracuse is six and zero. Like this is this is a good football team. They got a new OC this year. Robert, how do I say that last name? Man, I, I'm gonna go with an A. That's where I was going. Okay, yeah, we'll go with yeah, an A. We're on the same page. Came yeah, came from UVA with quarterback coach Jason Beck. They both had formerly been with Bronco Media Media Mendenhall at BC. There you go. Sure, <laughs> um, at BYU, and then came with him to Virginia. And when he suddenly retired, they left. Uh, so they, but here's the thing: when they were at UVA last year, they had the the best, well, third best offense in FBS when it came to total yards. Thomas at both BYU and at AM. These two guys, when they had dual threat quarterbacks, they liked to involve the quarterback in the running game. And Thomas, here's what you're going to really love. <laughs> guess guess what they like to do at times? Well, are we talking like a wing T here? The option. Oh, you love they that. like to run the option. Now, it's not out of the wing T. It's not the it's not the Nebraska uh, uh, option or the the uh, Navy option or even the Paul Johnson offense uh, at Georgia Tech. They'll stay in the shotgun and do a, a kind of a sprint option. 
but really it's more so of that that QB read where on a, on a zone play where the running back's going to kind of cross the quarterback's face quarterback's reading a backside end or a linebacker that's unblocked and if he comes up field he pulls it and runs around him if he sits he gives it and the court and the running back takes it for the most yards he can get there so this team though thomas they like to throw the ball down the field they're spread and they got a little air raid to them they like to make it quick read and, and make an easy read for their quarterback and they want to take shots i will tell you this this is a really good offense at UVA, there were times uh, last year that these co- these two coaches were questioned about how much they were throwing the ball with Armstrong. Now, they are much more balanced at Syracuse. The team is fourth in the ACC in rushing uh, yards per game. Their leading rusher, who also happens to be on my fantasy football team, uh, is Sean Tucker. He is currently second in the league in yards per game at 107.3 and second in rushing attempts in the league. So they are balancing that out. And he's rushing for over five yards of carry to go along with six touchdowns, which is high up there. Uh, quarterback Garrett. Schrader is also a running threat. He's got 78 rushing attempts this year. Transfer from Michigan State a couple years back. He is just a shade under four yards a carry when he runs the ball, and he has five rushing touchdowns. Through the air, Thomas, he is fourth in the league at close to 240 yards passing uh, in a game, 12 touchdowns to only three interceptions. This is, again, two very good players. Their best wide receiver, Oronde. Is that? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. And I'm also going to say shame on you, Syracuse, for not putting pronunciations in your media guide because I looked for it and couldn't find it. Yeah, man, that's just – that's Bush League. Come <laughs> on, guys. You're better than that. You're, you're better than that. Aronde Gatson second is a six foot five deep threat at sophomore. He's number 19, guy you want to watch out for. They, they – Thomas – I, I texted you today when we were doing our final research, and I said, I love this offense. <laughs> a part of it is they will move him around. They have him in the backfield. They have him outside. They have him inside. They have him on the left. They have him on the right. They, they want to get him in the best matchup to get him the ball. This is their their deep shot guy. He is very, very good. He is second in the ACC in total receiving yards at 507, third in the league with 31 receptions, and is tied for first with five touchdown receptions this season. This is a really, really, really good football team. I know I keep saying it. Thomas, basically what I'm trying to say is Clemson's might be facing their toughest offense all season. Yeah. What are they gonna what are they gonna do? Yeah, you're right. Cause but between between Schrader and Tucker, you know, this is uh, I'm gonna say the best rushing attack they faced. I mean, Syr- Syracuse put up almost four hundred yards of offense against NC State, who has a good defense. Um Last week, looking at the Florida State game, Clemson defensively played some bad fundamental football. Clemson had 24 missed tackles last week against Florida State. They've got to get back to fundamental football. That that's that's the, uh, any any team is going to make you pay when you're missing 20 plus tackles there. And the interesting thing uh, about Schrader, as much of a runner as he is, and and last year. Schrader was primarily a runner, and Clemson did a good job of shutting down his running lanes and made him pretty much a non-factor. But this year, Schrader, as you mentioned, the stats show it. He is a much improved passer, third in yards per attempt in the ACC. He's completing about 69% of his passes, which is a really, really good completion rate. So 
I say all that to say that Clemson cannot use the same game plan that they used last year against him because he can make them pay, particularly when he's got a big body possession receiver like Aronde that you mentioned. Um, it's just, you know, he, he's got some weapons. He's got more weapons now than he's had before, more weapons than he had last year, and he's a better passer too. So I'm, I'm really curious how Goodwin's going to call this game because if you blitz heavy – which Clemson has been known to do. If you blitz heavy, Schrader's going to make you pay with his legs. If you sit back and cover three, Tucker's going to eat up a ton of yards. Good for your fantasy team. I'll be curious to see if you start him this week, by the way. Um, (laughs) But but I don't think we're playing each other, so that's fine. You can do whatever you want to. (laughs) Um, The joke there, listeners, is that I did not start uh, Jalen Hyatt. Last oh, week it yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah. That, 52, 52 points on my bench. Fifty-two. Oof, it's not it's not 50, a big deal. Fifty I'm, burger. I'm not mad. I'm not mad about it at all. <laughs> but really, you know, if, if I'm Goodwin, the defensive coordinator for Clemson, I'm challenging my defensive line to win their one-on-one matchups, blow up the backfield, because he really needs his back seven to play coverage. I think that's the real key for this Clemson defense in this game is. Can they get consistent pressure rushing only four, and can they make those tackles? This, I, I always, for the at least the last three to five years, I always look forward to the Clemson-Syracuse game, especially since Syracuse has started to be competitive, and I love it when it's up in the Carrier Dome. I've always wanted to go to a game there. I think that would be a fun place to see a game. It gets loud in there. Yeah. Um, but – uh, I, I'm I'm more interested in this game this year than I have before again because they're they're coming in undefeated they're coming into Death Valley I'm, I I don't think they have but I'm certain that Syracuse has probably never won in Death Valley if they have it's been you know a hundred years since they've done it so really excited about this game but but I'm curious we, we've laid out the offense and defense the sides of the game here I'm really curious on your final outlook and, and where you think mm-hmm. this game's going to go. So before I get into that final outlook, <clears throat> Thomas, something I noticed watching the the Clemson Florida State game, Goodwin seems to like be an old school defensive coordinator in the fact that number one, he's on the sideline. That's not always the case. And number two, I think he's straight up calling the defense. Yeah. Like I don't I don't see five different guys doing dummy calls. He's just straight up out there calling it. Like given the front signal and given the coverage signal, and they're just going to play ball. And like now, man, I may have not been able to see the assistants that were doing all the the fake stuff on the beside him. I just thought that was super interesting. But anyway, moving back to my final outlook, Thomas, like I said, Clemson's been fine this year on offense. They've been fine. There's nothing wrong with this offense. It's not the the hurdle or the holdback or the obstacle that it was last season for them. But they haven't been stupendous. They haven't been fantastic. They haven't blown me away when I've watched them play football. So I really kind of feel like you can say the same thing at times about this defense. You mentioned just now with Florida State, missed a lot of tackles. You know, it's just, this hasn't been great on either side of the ball. They're doing fine. They're undefeated. They're, you know, ranked what they are. But, you know, I just, I don't know. Here's why I bring all that up. Thomas, this line is 13 and a half. Clemson favored by 13 and a half. Does that feel big to you? It does. I, I think it's about three points too large. Honestly, I would have this line at about Clemson minus 10 and a half. I agree to that. I agree to that. And so with that being said, I I think Syracuse covers at 13 and a half because I think it could have been 10 and a half and I think they could have covered. And I think the over hits the over is 51 and a half. So just if you put any action on the game that I wanted to throw out there, Thomas, I think this is going to be a much tighter game than anybody thinks it's going to be. 
You know, if I was Lee Corso, I would say it's going to be closer than the experts think. I, to me, the big key here is can Syracuse get DJU rattled and get him to force some bad balls? If they can steal some possessions and get some turnovers, this game could come more, much more down to the wire than people are anticipating. Thomas, I, I have Clemson in my mind a little bit on upset alert. You know, if you're coming in a little too cocky, beat Florida State in Florida State, you beat NC State, if you're overlooking Syracuse, they could bite you here. Thomas, am I way off base? No, I I don't think you're off base. I I do think that that Clemson is going to win this game. I agree with you. I think the over is going to hit. There's going to be a lot of points scored in this game, and I think it could be tight. I think this could be – could have some people puckering in the stands watching this game. Clemson fans uh, could could get them a little nervous. The only the only X fact that one of the X factors here is obviously this game is in Clemson. Um, I would probably give them more of an edge if this was a night game. Give that crowd more time to, to tailgate and indulge a little bit and get fired up. Um, but it's nothing new to Clemson fans. They're, they're used to noon games there. They play a lot of noon games. Um, so I, I think I've, I think it's fair to say that Clemson could be on upset alert. I think Clemson is going to win this one, but I think also it's going to be a whole lot closer than Clemson fans wanted to be. I would agree to that, uh, obviously. So Thomas, what, what are we looking forward to this week in games, man? You know, after, and this past weekend was was an amazing, amazing slate of games, yeah. and not just the really Alabama-Tennessee game, just yeah. really, really good football. This weekend looks a little lackluster. Uh, of course, I, we always want to see some fireworks, so it took me a little bit more digging to, to find our, our three games that we like to talk about. Um, but noon, I am, I'm looking at Iowa. Iowa at number two. Ohio State, who was favored by 29 points. Wow. Now, you're probably wow. wondering why I picked a game with a 29-point spread as our noon game here, but hear me out. Now, Iowa offensively is hot garbage. They are just – just Terrible. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it makes Marcus Satterfield's offense look all world. Yeah, they, they'd love to have Satterfield. Yeah, yeah, they probably would. Um, but, you know – Take him, yeah. take him, Iowa. You yeah, can have him. I'll, I'll help. I'll help pack the moving truck. Honestly, um, but there's so first of all that there's not a lot of options for the noon slot here other than that Clemson game. But also, here's the the kicker: here is this is likely that the best defense that Ohio State has faced to date this season. Now, I have no doubt that Ohio State is going to win this game. I don't even know if Iowa can score on Ohio State, but we've yet to see Ohio State face a legit defense this season. And, and that's what I want to see. I want to see this offense against a legitimate defense with a pulse. I mean, I, that's that's kind of where I'm at on that game. And I just I, I want to see them face a defense. I know they're going to win, but how badly are they going to beat Iowa? How well are they going to perform against a good defense? Well, and I'll, I'll say this: Ohio State, almost every season, at least in recent history, they have an oopsie game. Mm-hmm. They have a game where they don't look great, and, it, and it's been against Iowa before. And it's been, you know, against teams that they were much better than. If you go back a few years ago, they lost to Purdue. And, I mean, I think they were favored huge in that one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is at home. So that helps you get fired up and be, you know, in the right frame of mind. Ohio State comes off a bye. 
So, I mean, that, you know, that helps as well. Uh, you know, crazier things have happened. I don't think Iowa's bad on defense. I think you're right. Might be the best defense Ohio State's all, seen all year this at this point. But I think their offense is so bad. And I think they're going to go three and out so often yeah. that I think that that defense is going to get worn out. I mean, 29 points is a lot of points. Yeah. Uh, like, I, if, if I was going to bet on this game, I would not. I, I wouldn't think I, I, I kind of don't think Ohio state covers the spread because it's just, that's a lot of points. That's four touchdowns and, and you know, plus, you know, so I, and a two point, I just don't see they cover that even as bad as I was on offense. Is that again, is that crazy of me? No, I, I don't, I don't think it's crazy. I think the, the, the one, the one reason that I think Ohio state will likely cover this game is cause I honestly, I, I don't know that Iowa will be able to score on Ohio State. I don't even know if they'll be able to get into field goal territory. So, I mean, <laughs> Ohio State could blank them, you know, 31 to nothing and they cover, you know? So the bet really could be like, how many times does Iowa cross the 50? Yeah. How no, many times does that happen? That That is a prop bet that I would take for sure. So absolutely. So flushing that one, and let's get into a little bit better games here. Three thirty, our three thirty game, number seven, Ole Miss at LSU, and I was a little surprised mm-hmm. here. LSU is mm-hmm. favored one and a half points. LSU minus one point five. Now, here's the wow. thing that's interesting about this game is if Ole Miss can win this game. The only real challenger I see left on their schedule is Alabama, who they've got at home in week 11. And unless Alabama cleans things up, which they have been known to do, but I think this, mm-hmm. this I won't go down this wormhole, but this this year's Alabama team is, is does not look like past Alabama teams. But unless Alabama cleans up their house, I really think that Ole Miss can beat Alabama. And then they'll just need to score oh. 50 to 60 points to beat Mississippi State, and they can. So my point is, is mm-hmm. Ole Miss could win out and could really shake up the West, just like we're talking about the East getting shaken up. But so what happens in the world where the SEC championship is Tennessee versus Ole Miss in Atlanta? Like, they're – there isn't anybody in the country that picked that. Like, I no. mean, other than Vols and Ole Miss fans, maybe like there is not somebody who is a paid analyst or, you know, talks on the radio, has a podcast that says, you know what? I'm going out on a limb. Vols rebels in the SEC championship. Like nobody thought that. So it's not impossible. I will say about this line, Thomas, what, what does Vegas know about LSU that I don't? Yeah. Be- because I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. I think I think LSU is is pretty bad. They they've shown flashes, of course, this year, but I don't get it either. Um, and you know, you talk about well, it's at LSU, it's it's in Death Valley, and yeah, that's a tough place to play. But it ain't the place. It ain't the tough place to play that it used to be. You know, and because they're 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 not that good. Uh, new coach Brian Kelly. You know, we we've talked about that before, but it's. I mean, Tennessee went in there a couple weeks ago and just thumped them. So, yeah, you know, you can you can take the top off of that crowd very easily. Um, but I, I do want to say before we move on to our our late game here is if the SEC championship game was Ole Miss and Tennessee, that is a game I would love to see because you're talking about arguably 
two of the best play call offensive play callers mm-hmm. in the SEC going toe to toe. And there might be a thousand points scored in that game. I was about to say the over under needs to be close to a hundred, like you know, eighty five to a hundred on the over under. They're they're going to score fifty two and forty nine like Bama did in Tennessee. Like that that is not going to be a low scoring game if that happened. And quite honestly, I'm always a fan of chaos. Like I'm here for the chaos. So if we got Tennessee Ole Miss in the SEC championship, I, I, I'm not mad at it. Uh, yeah. You know, like. As a fan, now as a Gamecock, like you're thinking, oh crap, this this does not make recruiting against Tennessee an SEC East opponent any easier. But at the same time, like I, you know, as I get older, I just I just like football, you yeah. know. So like I want to see some good football. I want the Gamecocks to be good, but you know, at the same time, that's that I'd rather just see good ball, and that would be an interesting matchup, like you said. I, it would be a lot of fun to watch. It'd be one that you are only going to the bathroom or you're only going to get a drink during a commercial, yeah, because something could happen on any play that could be insane. Yeah. All right. And so closing out our late game here and, and, and to be fair, uh, F hopefully I hope that I don't see really any of this game because if I do, it means that South Carolina is just getting pummeled and I have to change right. the channel because at eight o'clock we've got number 17, Kansas state at number eight, TCU, TCU is favored by three and a half points in this game. TCU has, just kind of sneaky, just just been just just been winning, just been winning um, right. ever since. Uh, Sonny Dykes is that his coach in TCU now? I yep. believe. Yep. Yeah, and and this game should really be between two undefeateds, but Kansas State has one inexplicable loss to Tulane in Week Three, and then they turned it on from there. But you're talking about two of the best running backs in the Big Twelve, two of the best quarterbacks in the Big Twelve. This game could be exciting. Uh, and you know, it's always interesting. It's really neat to see Adrian Martinez finally starting to showcase his abilities as what, like a ninth year senior. I feel like he's been playing forever. Um, so this, this game could be exciting. Yeah, it could be. Um, so I agree with you. If I see any of this game, things have gone bad in Columbia. To be perfectly honest, I'm going to be a little out of pocket for the night games anyway. It's my 20th high school reunion because I'm old, and we have our we have our big event that evening. Um, I'm I'm working to get a TV there for all the football fans that are going to be there. But uh, you know, I may be a little out of pocket. By the way, TCU is very good. Uh, Sonny Dykes is their coach. They have the guy I wanted to be our offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, running his oh, yeah. version. Of- the power uh, power uh, run game mixed with the air raid that uh, we should be running in South Carolina right now, but we didn't do that. Um, so anyway, this is going to be a good football game. Um, I'll definitely watch highlights, replay of it. Um, I, I love what both these teams do. Um, it could be a fun game to watch. I, I think three and a half is a good spread because I think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a, a nail biter. Um, and, you know, honestly, it's hard to pick who comes out here. I'll give I'll give TCU the edge because they're at home. But Kansas State, like you said, other than that bad loss to Tulane, which Tulane, I think they're undefeated, aren't they? Like they they're not awful. Yeah, yeah. But, but so so wait, so I, I I missed something in there. Are, are you telling me that there is not already going to be a TV at this reunion? I I'm not positive. I'm not positive. <laughs> Man, not what, what time does this shindig start? I believe it starts at eight, if I remember correctly. We may, we may have bumped it up to seven. I can't remember. I'm on the planning committee. You can tell that I know a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of planning here. Yeah, I was involved heavily. Um, well, make sure your no, phone's I mean, charged, man. Make sure your phone's charged up. 
But and I mean, you know, we're gonna have a lot of my old football teammates there. So between all of us, we we got to have some phones that will be able to watch this game. Um, but anyway, I, I think the Horn Frogs come out. By the way, did you see last week? Do they have red in their jersey now, like all the time, or was that just a weekly thing? Uh, I did not notice that. Uh, if they did, that that must have been a one-off though, because I know that's not in their okay. color scheme. Yeah, they're purple and black. Like I've never seen red in their uniforms. And I just happened to turn the channel. I was like, why do they have red? Like, yeah. and I, it wasn't pink. At first, I thought it was pink for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's red. Like, why is that? Like, why is that on their jersey? But anyway, so I digress. But Thomas, you're right. It's going to be hard for any any game this week to match what we saw in several games. You mentioned it just wasn't t- Tennessee, Alabama. But I, I still don't think there's some good games. Old Miss, LSU. I'm switching back to that for a second. Lane Kiffin, we all know that that guy's a you-know-what. And if he can run it up, he's going to. So that that game could get ugly, and it'd be interesting to see what happens in Baton Rouge if they get boat raced again at home. Like, what? how hot is the seat going to get underneath Brian Kelly? Like, I mean, this is a a program that fired Ed Ogeron Odron, oh, 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 oh. Uh, <laughs> after what was it? A year out, two years after the national championship. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, things had gotten way off the rails and things were going really bad. But two years after that man won a national championship and went undefeated and had probably one of the best college football teams ever, ever, they fired him. Yeah. So new new coach or not, you get smoked twice by SEC opponents at home. The fans in, in, in the Bayou will not be happy or patient. No. All right, Thomas, as we head out the door, anybody who wants to check our social medias, we're at SAA Football Fan on both Twitter and Instagram. We have an email address. Don't worry, Thomas. I don't have any surprise emails for you this week. It's at it's just SAA Football Fan at gmail.com. Write us a question. Uh, we'd be happy to answer it on the air. Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people whatever you want. Fall is in the air. It's about time to turn the heat on. So that means football is about to start getting real interesting. Dang right. See you next time. See you. See you.